Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. Hello, friends. As part of our gathered worship on Sunday, we looked at this phrase that Jesus says over and over and over in the Gospels, follow me. And so, to start off, I want to just walk you through the many times that Jesus says this. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Matthew 4.19 But Jesus told him, follow me, and let the dead bury their own dead. Matthew 8.22 As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Matthew 9.9 Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10:38. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Matthew 16:24. Jesus answered, If you want to be complete, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Matthew 19, 21. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Mark 1, 17. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Mark 2, 14. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, and take up their cross, and follow me. Mark eight thirty four. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, Go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Mark ten twenty one. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Luke 5:27. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Luke 9:23. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Luke 9.59 Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Luke 9.61 And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Luke 14.27 When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Luke 18.22 The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. John 1.43 My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. John 10.27 Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. John 12:26. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Simon Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. John 21:18. Through 19. Our gospel story today finds Jesus out in the community. Jesus was expanding from working alone to building a community to join him in his movement. Jesus used the modern education and formation strategies of his day to create his new kingdom of God community, but in so doing, he turned those strategies upside down. The modern education information model of the day was discipleship. Discipleship was about as common as our forms of education and formation are to us. Everyone knew the way discipleship worked. Discipleship meant a relationship where someone becomes a student or an apprentice of someone else. Philosophers had disciples, political leaders had disciples, scribes, rabbis, Pharisees, zealots, they all had disciples. Even John the Baptist had disciples. Everyone in Jesus' day knew the way discipleship worked. When someone had studied to become an expert in something, you might call them a master, a teacher, a rabbi, a chief, a boss, and Masters did not call disciples or students to follow them. Everyone knew that. Instead, disciples or students pursued masters. They hoped that they would be accepted by a master for discipleship. That was the way it worked. If someone was considering discipleship, they would take some time to deliberate because they knew they were going to be away from their family. For a set amount of time, studying, learning, and so it was a temporary gig. They had to figure out, how's the family business going to function while I'm away? And then once they made their decision, they set out in search of a teacher, a rabbi, who would accept them. Discipleship was centered on a subject. It was not centered on a person, even though they pursued a rabbi. If someone wanted to learn about, say, the Jewish Old Testament law, they, they might pursue a certain rabbi who they thought would be a good teacher, but if it turned out that rabbi wasn't helpful, the disciple was free to begin a relationship with a different rabbi. So their loyalty was not to a person. It was to the subject that they were studying. Everyone knew that discipleship did not 
last forever because they would eventually come back and they would return with qualifications to become a teacher, a master, a boss themselves. That was the gig. If you apply yourself and give enough to this and you actually meet the qualifications, you can become a master. And so Jesus took all of this and he turned it upside down. 21 different times in the Gospels, we find Jesus saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. He was the one who was out recruiting students instead of the other way around. And instead of recruiting likely students at the local synagogue who were deeply interested in learning the law and the prophets, Jesus recruited all the wrong people. They were people who had not submitted an application. He recruited fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and women and sinners. It was unheard of to call people like this into discipleship. These were people who already had lives. They already had jobs. They didn't believe what Jesus believed. They didn't live the way Jesus lived. They weren't educated. Their character, their talents, their background, their qualifications were all in question. And Jesus did not invite them to come learn a subject. He didn't say, come learn the law and the prophets. He invited them to come learn a person over and over. Follow me. Come follow me. It's, it's a person, not a subject. Jesus didn't make discipleship a temporary gig. He made it a lifelong commitment, a lifelong orientation, lifelong learners. Now, just one final comment before we jump in and we read our scripture for today. In this story that I'm about to read, you're going to encounter Simon Peter saying to Jesus, I am a sinner. Now, there's a historic social definition of this word, and there's a theological definition of this word. Um, so, sinners in Jesus' day, they were a social group. They were those who did not abide by the Pharisees' interpretation of the law, and so they were considered on the same level as tax collectors and Gentiles. And so this is why Jesus uh, is accused by the Pharisees of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's an accusation about being a friend with a certain social group. So that would be this social definition where other people are saying, I'm a mess. But then there's this theological definition, which is just recognizing, no, actually, I am a mess. Like, there's stuff about me that I can't fix, and it's a deeper problem than I know how to solve, and I need help. Bill Wilson's 12-step language for this is, we admitted we were powerless and that our lives had become unmanageable. So, as we read this story, it's like, all right, did did Peter mean that he knew he was a mess, or does he mean, I know other people say I'm a mess? And to answer that would be pure speculation. We don't have to answer it, because it's enough to recognize that as humans, we actually all wrestle with both aspects. We know that we're a mess, 
and we wrestle with what we think other people think of us as well. So with that said, let's jump in. We're starting with Luke 4, 38 and 39, and then skipping ahead to Luke 5, verse 1. Jesus left the synagogue, he's in Capernaum, and he went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she got up at once and began to wait on them. Skipping ahead in the story... One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore left everything, and followed him. Now, on one level, this is a story that happened at a particular place, a particular time, to a particular person. But this is also a story that happens all the time. It's still happening today. There isn't just one right reading of this story. There are a hundred million different right readings of this story because this isn't only Simon Peter's story. Your story is somehow wrapped up in this story. In a hundred million different ways, the Spirit of Jesus meets people where they are and beckons them over and over and over in their life. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. This story has breathed life into hundreds of thousands of lives in different ways. It catches us at many different ages and stages and places in life. And no matter what age or stage you are in, Jesus wants this story to mean something fresh for you today. In the middle of all the ordinariness and the difficulties of life, Jesus beckons you deeper and onward in this journey of discipleship follow me. The Spirit of Jesus invites you into a journey that'll change you and help you become who you truly are, who you have truly been created to be. And it's not up to me to tell Simon Peter to leave his boats. It's not up to me to tell you exactly what your response to Jesus is meant to be. 
I can only sketch some possibilities and offer some angles and invite you to listen. What is Jesus whispering? What is Jesus saying? What does this mean for you to follow Jesus in this age and stage of your journey? Now, because this is a story that we all find ourselves in, I'm about to take a walk through the decades of life to explore some of the places where this story might find us. You could tune out to the decades that you think don't apply to you, but please don't. <laughs> uh, I want to invite you to listen for the abundance of meaning. Listen for the wide variety of ways that Jesus meets you where you're at and continues to beckon you onward in the journey of discipleship. Follow me. So don't make too much of the age and stage part of this. Just listen. As theologian Leonard Sweet says, Jesus did not come to deliver us from our humanity, but to recover and discover our true humanity. Jesus did not come into the world to get us out of the world or help us escape the world, but to enter it, to embrace it, and engage it more deeply and divinely. Jesus was always evoking the world we're in and making it better, not escaping from the world and alienating us from it. So, a 10-year-old might read this story of Jesus and Simon Peter and the boat and respond, how many fish does it take to sink two boats? And if you have so many fish that your nets are breaking and sinking your boats, wouldn't you just throw some back? Why are you going to keep filling the boat with fish if it's sinking? And if I had a boat and Jesus asked me to share it with him, I'd share it with him as long as he didn't sink it or as long as he didn't make me eat the fish. My parents sometimes make me eat fish and I don't like it. It's easy to share imaginary things that I don't actually have, like a boat. But it's a lot harder to share real things like a tablet or a video game controller or my money or my snacks. And it's a lot harder to share them with regular people like my sister or my brother or that annoying kid who always shows up at the park and is asking for things and wants to play with my stuff. A 15-year-old might read this story and respond, I wonder if Taylor Swift eats fish. I heard she doesn't like sushi, but I can't remember if she's vegan. I should look that up. I know that Taylor Swift has spoken about her Christian faith. I wonder if she ever felt like Jesus asked her to leave her boats and follow him. And I wonder if that was hard for her. And I wonder what the difference is between following Taylor Swift, following Jesus, versus just following Jesus. She's probably flying in her private jet right now from the Tokyo Dome to the Las Vegas Super Bowl. I wonder if she's landed yet. I hope they show her at the game.
Also, I heard that by the year 2050, there's supposed to be more plastic in the ocean than fish. So if Jesus told a fisher person today to let down their nets for a catch, they'd be like, bro, we fished hard all night and we haven't caught anything except for this bunch of plastic. Also, why does Jesus say, from now on you'll fish for people and catch them alive? That sounds weird and kind of creepy. Like, why doesn't Jesus just say, your life will be about people now? That would sound better. Someone in their 20s might read this story and respond, I really like the way that Simon Peter was willing to fail spectacularly and just fall totally in love and go for it and become totally obsessed with something or someone. I mean, it's not like Simon knew this was going to work out. He didn't. And I wish that I could be remembered and celebrated for being willing to fail spectacularly and fall totally in love and go for it and become totally obsessed. Because when I get excited about something and I want to take risks and go for it, I feel like a lot of the older people in my life start talking about responsibility and caution. It's almost like if Jesus stopped by their boat with an invitation, they'd say something about their jam-packed schedule and needing to stay home and vacuum the carpets or watch their 401k or something. I wish they'd celebrate my willingness to fail spectacularly. I wonder if Jesus celebrates that quality in me. Someone in their 30s might read this story and respond, hitting the fish jackpot. That sounds cool. I wonder if Simon Peter was able to pay off his debts when he hit the fish jackpot. And I wonder if he invested any of that money before he left. I wish I could hit the jackpot and pay off all my debts. I like that Simon Peter decluttered his life too, like leaving everything behind. He Marie Kondoed his life, and it sounds like it was a good thing for him. And traveling and learning something new and going to parties with sinners along with Jesus, that all sounds pretty cool too. And I also kind of wonder how much of this story is about real jobs and careers, or is it also trying to say something deeper about letting go of your ego and control entrenched ideologies, and not staying in your comfort zone. Someone in their 40s might read this story and respond, I feel you, Simon Peter. You spend your whole life working hard to find some kind of success, and you start to realize what a mess you are inside. You start wondering if you need to start completely over and do something totally different with your life which feels entirely life-giving and entirely terrifying at the same time. I read that Thomas Merton says we may spend our whole life climbing the ladder of success only to find when we get to the top that our ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. It's like Simon Peter is halfway through his life, but is just now finding the starting gate and figuring out that he needs to deal with his own inner mess. And it is encouraging to think that he found a way through with Jesus. I also like that he found a way to switch careers from what he had been doing to join a community that 
wasn't partisan and was actually doing something creative and innovative for the greater good. And I like that Jesus didn't only invite Simon Peter to follow him, but he invited his friends too. How cool to do something new and scary, but have your friends along for the ride. I wish I could find a way to do that, but it's really, really terrifying. And also I wonder if Simon Peter figured out his own inner mess. Someone in their 50s might read this story and they might respond, man, caring for aging relatives. Now that's hard work. The story says earlier that Simon had a mother-in-law living at his house and that she'd been sick. Maybe he was ready to take a break from caring for the aging parents in his life. And going out on an adventure, that sounds nice and all, but man, there's no place like home. I mean, what was Simon supposed to tell his kids about missing their high school basketball games? And how's he supposed to pay for their college application fees if he didn't have a job? And did he have to check if he had enough vacation days stored up to go with Jesus? Or had he already used too many of them at physical therapy? Maybe Jesus would invite another batch of disciples next summer, and maybe he could do it then. Like if he said yes, I guess if it didn't work out, he could always opt out later. I have so many demands and so many people who need so many things from me that I start to feel like I don't want my life to be oriented around people anymore. I don't know if it's burnout or what, but actually, if I'm honest, staying home and fishing sounds really nice. So for me, the call to follow Jesus, it feels like it's more about compassion and selflessness and being really present, like actually present for people, not hiding away. That's the real challenge I find in this story. Someone in their 60s might read this story and they might respond, you know, I remember back when it was possible to learn a skill that would last a lifetime and once you knew that skill, you were set for life. You could just put the learning phase of life aside, in a sense. But nowadays, technology is changing things so fast. I don't know if many skills will last a lifetime. It seems like young people are going to have to learn to be capable of learning new skills just to survive. And I look at my skill sets, and they've certainly felt threatened or like they aren't relevant to people or quickly becoming obsolete. And so I have had to learn new skills just to keep up and survive, or I'm just tempted to give up learning new things altogether. Maybe not tempted, maybe just discouraged about how hard learning is. But then I, I read this story and I wonder, what if lifelong learning has been the true skill all along? Like when Jesus called Simon to become a disciple, a learner rather than just a fisherman, I wonder if this was part of what he was getting at. I remember that old Albert Einstein quote, once you stop learning, you start dying. In earlier last seasons of my life, I felt like I didn't have any time or any space to learn. And now that I have an empty nest, I think about all the things I wish I had learned much earlier. 
Maybe it really never was about the work and the money. Maybe it always was deeper. I wish I'd figured out how to prioritize people over things and work much earlier. Someone in their 70s might read this story and they might respond, Oh man, I love that Jesus prioritized people over things or over work. The older I get, the more invisible I feel to the world. And I don't judge them for not seeing me. I didn't see people my age when I was their age either. They're probably learning the hard way, just like I did, that it's not about the material stuff or having the answers or the ego stuff or the work or even the thrills. It's about the people. People are the treasure. They are the catch. They are the jackpot. They are what's precious, each and every person. It's not about the destination. It's about following Jesus. It's not about acquiring happiness. It's about the character development, who you become along the way. And yeah, I could write the alternative ending to Simon's story because I know that story. I could write the story about the person who never takes risks and they stay with the boats and they stay late at work and they never cut off early from work to be with their kids or their friends or their needy neighbors and they're always thinking about the bottom line. They're never truly oriented towards people and they stop learning. They become rigid and resistant to new information. They become set in their ways. And just because they have Jesus preaching out of their boat, they think that it means it's all good with them, but they don't really deal with their own inner mess with Jesus. They've never become who they're meant to become, and ultimately they become a name forgotten in history. Nobody remembers them. Nobody is telling their story generations and generations later. And I could write that story because I've known a hundred people like that. And sometimes I've been that person, but I don't want to be that person anymore. The only reason I want people to see me and remember me is because they are seeing the love of Jesus somehow through me. And so I'm ready to take some risks. I'm ready for something new and an adventure. And I don't know if my body will keep up. My hip, my shoulder, my knee might act up. I might have to tell Jesus to go on ahead, but I'll still be following. Someone in their 80s plus, they might read this story and respond, the older I get, the more I realize what Jesus said to Simon. Don't be afraid from now on. And that's my life these days. To not be afraid and to live in the now. To enjoy it to the full. Offering whatever I can to whomever I can. And I've come to realize how much of this life was a gift and is a gift. And how much of it I never really made for myself anyways. I'm no longer beating myself up as a sinner. Acting like Jesus should get away from me. I've, I've banished that kind of fear from my heart. Because I know that. Whether I'm out on the open road or at home, Jesus is never going to leave me. Don't be afraid from now on. In the very last page of his book, 
Mere Christianity, classic book, here's what C.S. Lewis writes. He says, But there must be a real giving up of the self. You must throw it away blindly, so to speak. Christ will indeed give you a real personality, but you must not go to him for the sake of that. As long as your own personality is what you are bothering about, you are not going to him at all. The very first step is to try to forget about the self altogether. Your real new self will not come as long as you're looking for it. It will come when you're looking for Christ. Does that sound strange? The same principle holds, you know, for more everyday matters. Even in social life, you'll never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking about what sort of impression you're making. Even in literature and art, no person who bothers about originality will ever be original. Whereas, if you simply try to tell the truth without carrying two pence how often it has been told before, you'll nine times out of ten become original without ever having noticed it. The principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself, and you'll find your real self. Lose your life, and you'll save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you'll find eternal life. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you'll find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. So a final discussion question. Where do you find your place in the story? And what is Jesus saying? To you today. Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.